0: Hello, everybody, and welcome into a new edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network and on Patriots Press Pass on YouTube. And today's show is powered by our friends at LinkedIn. Make sure to use that link, linkedin.com slash beat for uh, to post your first job for free on LinkedIn. But before we get into the live Q&A portion, we are going to answer questions here on the air uh, so please put the questions in the chat and we're going to get to those in a few minutes. But we want to start as we let some people cycle in here and start to ask those questions out uh, with the week 14 slate. The Patriots, Bill Belichick out on Nantucket, some nice pictures with Linda Holiday and Nike out there going on on some walks and uh, a big smile on Bill's face with that that great uh, winter jacket that he seems to love so much that we just keep seeing popping up everywhere that he goes, but a very happy uh, bye week. Bill Belichick gave the Patriots Thursday through Sunday off coming off this seven game win streak, a big win in Buffalo last week. Bill gave the players an extended weekend himself, an extended weekend. But as the Patriots were enjoying their bye week, the NFL went on obviously without them for a week. And there were a lot of things happening here. From a Patriots perspective, I didn't get to watch uh, Bucks Bills in com- its totality yet uh, this last night, but obviously a game that I left uh, for, for a family dinner and the Bills were getting blown out. And then I looked out on my phone and it's in overtime. So something crazy happened. Alex, fill us in on exactly uh, what happened with that game and, and I'll fill in with some of the things I was able to watch. Yeah, I,
1: I think, so all, I thought going into that game, it was going to be the opposite. I thought the Bills coming off, you know, historically bad loss, it taught, you know, there was the question asked after the game, was this embarrassing? They took it personally. I was like, all right, this team's going to come out, shot out of a cannon. They're going to be so fired up. But ultimately, Tampa's talent, as it usually is, is going to be too much and, and blood well, ended up being the other way around where the Bucks came, or sorry, the Bills came out slow. And they right. were the ones playing catch up. And that kind of surprised me. But it does sort of feel, even though, look, the vision that might be it, that might bury them. But it does feel like a Bills team that looked dead in the water at the halftime, at halftime of that game, they might have their mojo back. And again, yeah. I don't necessarily know what that means at this point in the year where they're, you know, they're two games back. They've already lost one to the Patriots. Like they still might be locked into a wild card, but that's a team that was on their last breath and they somehow pulled themselves back from the abyss. We'll see what happens next week against the Carolina team. They should beat, they should beat handily. Uh, But, you know, as we look ahead and we all thought, you know, weeks from now, all right, party at Foxborough, bills come in. They're a broken team. Patriots clinched a division. We'll see what happens with Josh Allen, right? He came out in a walking boot, but the bills seem to be back up. And the Bills might be the most inconsistent team in football, and that's not great. But I do think when that Bills team is up, they're a force. So, yeah. I, I, you know, if you're a Patriots fan, even though the Bucks won and you get that breathing room, you know, I, I hate moral victories. I especially hate moral victories in December, but that really felt like something clicked for the Bills, despite, by the way, Sean McDermott's best efforts. That whole game at the end was an that's exercise in, in in who can make the worst coaching decision, right? you it, it, A bunch of nonsense for McDermott. Again, just didn't have his team ready. Uh, whatever the weird thing they were doing with only running Josh Allen, you know, sort of do what Belichick did the week before, but like change it a little bit. Um, and then Bruce Arians going four verts with three minutes to go uh, in, in a three-point lead. Bruce Arians calling that timeout at the end of the game where you saw Tom Brady mouth on the sideline. What happened? Once again, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won in despite of Bruce Arians, not because of him. And I'm starting to wonder more and more, especially if the Bucs lose this year. Like, I think he passed 45. Contract runs until he's 45. I don't think he's coming back here, obviously. But I'm starting to wonder if there's going to be a third team on Tom Brady's resume or at least a third coach because I could see him going LeBron and telling Bruce Arians
0: because it's wow. kind of getting
1: ridiculous at this point.
0: Okay, so Bruce Arians in the Bucks win a Super Bowl last year in Brady's first year. And you think that he is going to out wanted, Bruce
1: Arians? He had a two-minute drill with Tom Brady as his quarterback in the Super Bowl Yeah, and wanted halftime. Let's not forget that. I don't think Brady's forgotten that. Yeah. Like, I know they... Why, Evan? Let's be honest. Why did they win that Super Bowl? It, if you're going to rank the reasons they won that Super Bowl, where exactly is Bruce Arians on that list? I, I, I don't know that he's top 20. Okay. No, okay. Well,
0: like, let's not get too crazy. Number one is Tom Brady, obviously. Number two is, uh, of course, is, is, is probably Todd Bowles, right?
1: It, I it, put Todd
0: Bowles ahead of him.
1: Yeah, I, would, I mean, but I'd also put like Mike Evans, like, you know, Chris Godwin right. is, um, is not. We might find
0: out that Byron Leftwich is is ahead of Bruce Arians at some point here. You surprise Leftwich. me, then, honestly. Yeah, would not surprise me. OK, but I, I want to get back to some of the things with Buffalo, though, because I thought two things that you said. Uh, one I want to get really into and one I thought was is was interesting. Uh, first and foremost. The Bills coming back in that game showed me a little something, too right the bills could have very easily they came off the monday night loss to the patriots where they were upset in their own building with a we we know the story of that game right we don't have to go over it again then they get down a big to tampa bay at halftime they're down 24 to 3 to Tampa Bay and it could have been over, right? They, they could have rolled over season almost over at that point, right? You lose right. to Tampa Bay 31 to three after losing to the Patriots at home the week before that feels like a team that's dead in the water, right? They were, they didn't do that. They pulled themselves up. They got the game to overtime. I thought that was extremely impressive uh, for the fact that they were able to hold Tom Brady until that Rashad Perryman touchdown and OT. The the Bucks' the offense only had three points in the second half of that game and they were able to figure some things out on, uh, on their offense on, with Buffalo. So yeah, impressed by Buffalo to come back in that game and rally back in that game. I thought that was super impressive. With that being said, I think the biggest thing that really stood out to me from that game, from projecting forward, is that the Bills cannot run Josh Allen twelve times a game. He's already in a walking boot, right? I mean, he's he already got hurt from it in, in this Bill in this Bucks game. It doesn't sound like it was anything serious, and the walking boot was more a precaution. But if that's not a message to to the Bills and to Brian Dable and Sean McDermott that they cannot run this quarterback. 10 plus times and expect that Josh Allen is going to carry their rushing attack every single week, then I don't know what is. You don't want to see your quarterback in a walking boot after the game. I don't care if whether or not it was real or not. I don't care if the injury is that serious or not. That's a bad news and we'll see, we'll see how it affects him, right? Because this is not to say that this is going to completely spiral for Buffalo, but this is how it started with Patrick Mahomes' foot injury last year. Right. Is, oh, it wasn't a big deal. Oh, he's going to manage it. And all of a sudden he's having off season surgery on the foot. So there is a lot to look at with that Bill's game plan and the way that they were able to awaken, awaken their offense and get some things going on the ground. A lot of Bill's fans and Bill's media that I've paid attention to over uh, the last couple of weeks has been clamoring for Buffalo to involve Josh Allen in the run game, to use him like he's prime Cam Newton. Right. And, and, and and because they had such a uh, issue running the football, just traditionally just by turning it over to the back and, and and running the football down people's throats, because they couldn't do that. They have been begging Brian Dable to use Josh Allen as a run threat from out of the backfield That is a slippery slope and Josh Allen has such a great arm and is is such a great passer uh, when he's on his game that he's not Cam Newton. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not somebody that is dependent on his legs, right? He's not somebody that needs to be that kind of quarterback in order to be at his best and to thrive. So I think that's a very slippery slope for the Buffalo Bills and not a sustainable way uh, of offense for the Bills moving forward. Now, can they get defenses to clue in or key in on Josh Allen as a run threat and have that open up? running lanes for the backs right I mean you know read option type of plays where everybody's crashing down to the quarterback I guess in theory they could but I think if you're a team like the Patriots and Bill Belichick you're saying if you want Josh Allen to run the ball 12 times against us in week 16 go ahead right Right. because at some point Kyle Duggar or Dante Hightower is going to catch up to him and that's not going to be an engagement that you want if you're a Bills fan when Kyle Duggar is is hitting Josh Allen in the open field on a run play. So I don't know. It, it's a great one game sort of wrinkle against a real, the defending Super Bowl champions, a really good football team in Tampa Bay, to throw a, a run game strategy with Josh Allen as a featured back in your backfield. That is not going to be something that is going to work long-term or work as a sustainable way to move the football uh, for Buffalo. The rest of the season, I I would be shocked if he runs the ball that many times again, I think one walking boots, all it's going to take to be like, okay, let's let's chill out with Josh running the football. I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. BetOnline has you covered all season, more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues the march to the playoffs. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your bonus from basketball, football, NHL boxing and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports bet online where the game starts
1: yeah and I think I, I said it last week when we were talking about it you know why didn't they run Josh Allen down there when they got in the red zone and it's you know you don't want to run the quarterback too much risking getting hurt there are certain games where you just, and there are certain moments where you take that risk. And clearly the bills thought that Tampa game was that moment where we'll risk our quarterback getting hurt in this game, because if we lose, you know, the season's over. And look, I don't disagree with that assessment. I think that's a game where you put the quarterback on the line. And I, you know, I had no problem with them running Josh Allen as much as they did last night, but how was the end of that Patriots game? Not as, if not more dire. Like right. I look back at that and say, you know, if we're going to second guess the bills, all right. So you'll run him this much against the Bucks, Fine. Where was that against the Patriots? Was this an overcorrection? And again, like, I don't like you said it perfectly. I don't think that's sustainable. I don't think you can run him like that for another, whatever it is, three weeks, four weeks, and then go into the playoffs. Cause he's going to be banged up. I mean, look at what the Ravens are dealing with, with Lamar Jackson. Right. Look at what the Browns are dealing with, with Baker Mayfield, these quarterbacks that could hit a ton. You get to the, uh, the, the Cardinals are another one, Kyler Murray. And granted, Josh Allen's bigger than those three guys. He can absorb hits better,
0: yeah, which,
1: which makes him a much more – you know, you talk about Cam Newton. That's where he leans a little more. Cam Newton, maybe Ben Roethlisberger. But right. You really don't want your quarterback getting hit that much. There's times where it's going to have to happen, and they did it, One but, hit, right, because right.
0: It, it feels like he's indestructible because well, he's so big, right? And so I would with Cam. It felt like he was Superman, right? That he, that nobody right. – he would run the ball 100 times a year and no, and never get hurt. Well, I'm not saying that that's gonna that's gonna be what the Bills are gonna do with Josh Allen. He's gonna run the ball 85 times a year, but it, all it takes is one hit, one shoulder, one ankle, right? You just you never know, and, and I don't know that that like I said, that walking boot in the post game press conference. If I was a Bills fan, if I was Brian Dable, that would be it for me. I right. I, I would say, all right, well, that's it.
1: Well, I, so I'd push back a little bit on what you said, like, obviously there can be one hit, but I think you also have to consider the, you know, even not, not the ma- majorly impactful hits, but you get hit 12, 13, 14 times a game. Um, That it adds up like with, yeah. with Cam Newton, uh, Cam Newton. I, I, I did this at the end of the 2019 season. I haven't updated it for the last two years, but if you, you know, times hit, so that's sacks quarterback hits and carries where the ball carrier didn't go out of bounds. Right. So essentially times yeah. he was tackled cam Newton had been hit 800 times. There's something around 800 times. The exact numbers are on my Twitter right. around 800 around 800 times since he came in the league. The next close was Russell Wilson at 500. Yeah. You can't tell me, and this is nothing against cam Newton. Again, it's the way he played, but you can't tell me that, you know, you get hit 300 more times, almost twice as much as the next closest quarterback. You can't tell me that doesn't have something to do with cam Newton starting to fall off at the age of 32. And that's obviously, you know, much more of a macro picture, but to look at it within the bills, how much do you want Josh Allen getting hit? Because they do add up and it is going to impact him in there. You know, it's, it's a, it's a cost benefit analysis because you don't want to not run him because you're leaving opportunity on the table, but you don't want him to get the crap beat out of him either. And again, I think the bills probably leaned a little more towards running him in that game because they knew they had to win, but they can't do that in every game here down the stretch.
0: Yeah, agreed. And in Tennessee, or was that game in Jacksonville? I, I'm I'm blanking, but uh, that that game was over before it started. That game was in Tennessee. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, and, and look, I I think that this is not a Trevor versus Mac take, right? Because I if, if you redrafted it today, all thirty two GMs, I think Bill Belichick included, still take Trevor Lawrence over Mac Jones. I think all those those people, those anonymous executive league executives that are saying mac would go number one overall i don't buy it i still think trevor goes number one overall regardless but at the same time a testament to the infrastructure to the coaching to the foundation to the leadership in the locker room from the patriots veteran standpoint of making it a much more cushiony breezy uh, experience for mac jones Whereas things could not possibly in that report from Tom Pelicero added to <laughs> yeah. it, right? Exactly. You see the one today. Is, it, is, it, is I'm I'm sure they'll just keep coming out. I mean, it, it is a terrible situation, and Trevor Lawrence, it, they are absolutely ruining. Trevor yeah. Lawrence's development as a result. He threw four interceptions in that game. Some of them were really ugly interceptions, right? Just throwing them right to linebackers over the middle and, and things like that. And I don't think this has anything to do with Trevor Lawrence. This has 110% to do with the Jacksonville Jaguars and that organization as a whole, uh, as a whole, just being an absolute nightmare.
1: So here's the one today. Uh, Demetrius Harvey he covers uh, the Jaguars for big cat country. Uh, Jaguar uh, quote Jaguars head coach, urban Meyer was asked about Andre Cisco playing more again. He said, Cisco playing a little bit more. I believe I don't have the numbers in front of me. You want to guess how many defensive snaps? Andre Cisco played on Sunday. Oh boy. Zero. I guess zero. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He's probably, yeah. And by the way, he forced a fumble on the opening kickoff. Yeah. And then they didn't put him in. on. Like, I don't know what urban Meyer is watching. Uh, on Sundays, it's clearly not the Jaguars games. We saw the video. He's interested in the wrong blondes. Okay, he's interested in the wrong 20-something-year-old blondes. I I just <laughs> – was that too far? <laughs> I thought of that one earlier. Um, it's an embarrassment.
0: Yeah. It's
1: an embarrassment. In the I feel bad for Trevor Lawrence because – I feel least- really bad. I feel bad in, for in Lawrence. It, in,
0: I think the be- a really good comparison from a skill set standpoint for Trevor Lawrence is Andrew Luck. I think they're very, very similar quarterbacks. the same way. It, and and it, it's – to a degree, like Indianapolis at least gave them a found him a foundation to win 11 games three years in a row. Right. I mean, they, they were right. in the playoffs and they were able to at least coach it and 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 build it around him to. This is just like a
1: complete and utter failure. It's uh, Again, but, I, I think and look, I don't just feel bad for Lawrence. I feel bad for James Robinson. I feel bad for Josh Allen. I feel like that Josh Allen. They got a lot yeah. of talented players on that team, like young, talented players. And urban Meyer just seems completely disc and I'm not even going to put it on the assistance. Yeah. I'm not because, you know, you see the report from Pelicero. he's making people pull out their resumes in meetings. Yeah. On one hand, this is exactly how we knew this was going to go. Urban Meyer was kind of a trash person at Ohio state. I don't, he was at Florida. I don't know why that was going to change in the, like why anybody thought that was going to change in the NFL, but the Jaguars don't fire coaches. They generally let them get about four years. So I, this may be it for Trevor Lawrence. And it goes, luckily, like, luckily we're not going to have to do the quarterback draft discussion for the Patriots sake, again, probably for a long time, right. it seems like, but when we do, I mean, it, it really applies to any player, but I think, especially with quarterbacks, you know, me and you are going to be on here in April, in March and April, where we're going to be talking about, do we like this player, or this player is this player of more upside than this player, the floor of this player versus the floor of that player. Like, it's so dependent on where they go, like nature versus nurture. Right. And we forgot that. And myself included, I think we really put that aside in the yeah. spring. And I want to make sure when we come back and we do the draft talk again, and I know it cause it turns into cop-outs. It's well, which player do you like better? And you say. Depends where they land. But like I want to make sure when it comes to talking about draft prospects, because Trevor Lawrence is a much better player than the player we have seen for the Jacksonville Jaguars so far this season. This is a pure and utter failure on the part of Urban Meyer. It starts and stops with him. Defunction is any other defunction within the organization is a product of him not knowing what he's doing running an NFL ball club.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we gotta shout out our sponsors at LinkedIn, then we'll wrap up uh wrap hey, up Urban Meyer week week 14 slate here and get into some of the questions, but First of all, LinkedIn, these days, it can be hard to find and hire the right candidates for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs made it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people focused on candidates with just the right skills and experience and use screening questions to get your role in front of the uh, of only the most qualified then use the simple tools on linkedin jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire it's why small businesses rate linkedin jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors linkedin jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit linkedin post your job for free at linkedin.com slash beat that's linkedin.com beat to post your job for free terms and conditions
1: apply two last games here i want to hit Wait, on you, out. Had a, you had a perfect setup there like like i'm because i i I'm just gonna teach you for a moment here Supply so week, we can get into this stuff. Self scouting, you had the perfect setup going into the, that the LinkedIn Meyer
0: thing. You're right, yes, he, you he, had that done. right there. The Jaguars are gonna use the pro, the, the LinkedIn job, slash beat, they're gonna use that URL and they're gonna post their head coaching job in a couple of hours here once urban meyer has fired you right there I have you that go. see you gotta you
1: gotta find like creative ways to get in and out of it because the, the yeah. trick is you know if you just say all right we got to do our ad read people are like all right i'm gonna go take a leak because they know that an ad's coming you got to just seamlessly get into it without them even realizing you started the ad read that's that that's the old linkedin right will appreciate that so josh allen just
0: came out now bill's uh coach sean mcdermott said that josh allen sprained his foot and is officially day-to-day so sprained that- foot So yeah, so speaking of sprains, uh, Lamar Jackson sprain a bone. You you can sprain a foot apparently, according to Sean McDermott. Uh, Speaking of sprains, it also sounds like Lamar Jackson has an ankle sprain. So maybe that's more what McDermott is being a little bit more vague than what John Harbaugh was earlier today. Jackson obviously carded, a, not carted, but left the game against the Cleveland Browns. The Browns end up beating uh, Tyler Huntley and the Baltimore Ravens in that game. It was close there at the end. Baltimore recovers an onside kick and nearly uh, gets into field goal range for Justin Tucker. I thought fourth and six, Alex, at the end of that game versus Justin Tucker from 68 yards. What you got? I, I, I kind of I think the wind was I think they were going into the wind, which was a factor in terms of trying to attempt
1: a long field goal. I think Tucker might have been, might have been good from 68. Well, you claim Justin Tucker is the greatest kicker of all time, so I'm sure you would have taken him. Uh,
0: if definitely if the greatest regular season kicker of all time, Adam,
1: I don't know. Adam Vinatieri in his prime. I think I kicked that field goal. I, I don't like, here's the thing. If Lamar's in the game, I think it's a no brainer. You go for it. I think without yeah. Lamar, you know, it's, I, I don't know that it's the perfect comparison, but sometimes when it comes down to it and I think there's probably some analytics, but this is just me using common sense, you know, who do you want to have the ball in their hands or I guess on their foot? Like who, you know, is it, all right, I can put the ball in Lamar Jackson's hands or just. Would I rather the game be be up to Justin Tucker, be up to Tyler Huntley? Nothing nothing again.
0: You there, Alex. We're having some internet connection issues here with Alex. This is a great kick. Did I cut out? Oh yeah. You
1: cut out there. Oh, you're back. All right, everybody got the point of what I was saying, I think.
0: Yes. Yeah, and uh, last but not least, then we're going to get into the questions here. Uh, Casey versus Vegas. I I find this game really fascinating um, from so many perspectives because, first and foremost, uh, over the last five games, the Chiefs have average only 14 points a game and games not against the Raiders, huh. right? They are absolutely smoking the Raiders and it's inflating a lot of their offensive production. I don't know how much I can actually put into this. I don't think anything that the chiefs are, were able to hang 50 points on uh, the Raiders are nearly 50 points, but are the chiefs back? How much do they worry you if at all in this AFC playoff race? They're obviously nine and four. Uh, they're right there with the Patriots and the Titans at the top of the, of the conference, but it does feel like they've beaten up on the Raiders team that they pretty much have the Raiders number. And I, the rest of the game that they've played have been much closer.
1: Yeah. I, I kind of go back to what I said with the bills. I mean, I know that they're just beating up on one opponent, but it's the best time of the year to get hot. And the reality of it is that game happened right, right. And now. They're in a, they're in a rhythm. They're in a groove. They're seeing things well. So I, you know, I'm not gonna count ca- I'm not gonna count out Patrick Mahomes. Like, I'm not stupid. Yeah. He's the best quarterback in the league. He's the best quarterback in the league. Like any team, the, the Bucks, the, the the Packers, the Chiefs, I'm not counting out those teams because yeah. they just when a good quarterback gets in a rhythm, you really can't do anything about it. So I big game on was it Thursday night, right? Chargers Chiefs. Yeah. That's a huge game. That to yeah. me is a huge game. I think we will learn a lot about both of those teams in that game, but I, you know, the chiefs scare me as much as anybody in the AFC. And it's honestly, it's as much their defense, their offense. It seems like they've figured things out defensively. And that was their Achilles heel early in the year is that defense was historically bad. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not writing the chiefs off at all. The only team I'm writing out at the top, uh, you know, at the top there are the Baltimore Ravens because the injuries are piling up. Now Lamar Jackson's hurt and we've seen them kind of be inconsistent. Uh, To me, it's, And and, and I know one of these teams lost yesterday, but to me, it's, I I, I think the chiefs in terms of like right there with the Patriots at the top of the AFC, um, I think it's the chiefs. I think it's the chargers and honestly, the Bengals they're young. So they're a little inconsistent, but when that team gets on his groove, man, they've got some players. So that to me is, I I feel like I'm missing somebody, but that to me is the top tier in the AFC. Yeah. and I guess the Titans, if they were healthy, but they're not,
0: this chiefs team reminds me so much of that line in the 2009 football life with Bill Belichick and the Patriots where Belichick said we have Moss deep and we have Welker underneath and nothing else. And with the Chiefs, you just put Tyree Kill in for Randy Moss and Travis Kelsey in for Wes Welker. And it feels the same way, right? If you force Patrick Moams, and it's easier said than done, Um, there's no doubt about that. It's easier said than done. But the Patriots, I feel like, are a team that do have the connectivity on defense to execute a game plan where they have a safety over the top of Hill and they're doubling Kelsey, right? I think that they have the the execution and the personnel to go ahead and execute a plan like that. If you can get Patrick Mahomes to beat you, throwing to McCole Hardman and Brian Pringle and the backs out of the backfield and some of these other weapons that he has outside of Hill and Kelsey, and he successfully does that. And if Clyde Edwards-Elair runs the football against you and they beat you without their fastball, right? They're, they beat you playing left-handed. Then you tip your cap and you say, you know, you're a great team. You guys deserved it, right? Because uh, to me, I, I still think this Chiefs offense is is game planable I, I still think that they're... Is a game plan that other teams this year have used against them. The two high shells, things like that, that can be effective, uh, force them to try to run the ball, force them to dink and dunk down the field. I think with Belichick, it'll probably be throwing the kitchen sink at Travis Kelsey, right? Jams, doubles, brackets, two guys on him, inside out, uh, high lowing him, all those types of things, right? All the different types of things that Belichick does against these great tight ends but most importantly with Kelsey you pop him a couple times early on in that game with Matthew Judon and Kyle van Noy on the edges he's prone to tap out a little bit yeah. then you keep the safety over the top of a Tyree kill you take away the big plays like I said if he beats you throwing a Brian Pringle then he beats you throwing a Brian Pringle on Jalen Mills like what are you gonna do right so I I think that that's a, a team that I still look at and say okay yeah they're they're the Chiefs they're Patrick Mahomes Tyreek Kill, Travis Kelsey, the defense is playing a lot better football. That's a scary team for anybody to play against. But I do think that their offense, it, there is a way to scheme and plan for that offense. So I, I, I think that's going to be very interesting to see if that uh, matchup uh, comes about later on in this season. Okay, finally, Q&A time. We wanted to recap week 14. Let's segue into these questions now. If you have questions for Alex and I, Drop them in the chat. Now's your chance right now. Fire away and we will answer as many as we can over the next 30 plus minutes or so. So uh, I wanted to start with this question here and I got to go back and find it as uh, people are, are busy in the chat today. Alex. A, lot, a lot of a lot of chatting going on. It was about Miles Bryant, though, and his role on this team. Moving forward, I think Miles Bryant has played very, very well. I do think that there are some limitations to his game and man coverage, but as a whole, he's a very solid player for the Patriots. But the question is, is uh, John Jones will be back next year uh, for New England, still under contract. Is Miles Bryant earning a long-term role, or do we still think that he is just a depth option in the slot behind Jonathan Jones?
1: Well, I... I Miles Bryant's value is that he can play so many different positions. Not That's not to say he's not a good player. He obviously is, but I almost look at him as, you know, to cross sports here, kind of like a Brock Holt or Kike Hernandez kind of player where yeah. he can play in the slot. He can play safety. If you really need him to, he can play outside. I think just having that guy to give you all around depth on your secondary, like that in enough, is worth keeping him around and whether or not he develops into a starting caliber slot corner, a starting caliber, deep safety remains to be seen. He's a very young player. It's only his second year in the league, but I think at the very least, the fact that he can give you serviceable snaps at at three or four different positions, he's, he's a guy that you're going to keep a part of the team, the guy who should be a part of the team. So that, you know, that's kind of my take on him is at the very least he, and he's got, you know, one year left on his deal. Plus then he'll have the RFA year, which I'm sure the Patriots will use. Um, so, you know, two years in, all right, we know he's a serviceable player. And then over the next two years, we wait and see, okay, does he become something more than that? Does he become a starting caliber player? I don't know if it'll happen or it won't. I think he can do it. Um, but he's he's definitely a player. He's de- He's definitely a guy that's a part of the plan. I find it fascinating.
0: Still, I tweeted this out the other day that the Patriots cut Miles Bryant to start the season. He didn't make the fifty-three man roster out of training camp. Now they would really be in a tough spot if Miles Bryant, you know, with Johnson Jones going out for the year, uh, without Miles Bryant around, they'd be in a really difficult spot. In that nickel, we could have Brian Poole playing nickel corner for the Patriots, or or something like that. So,
1: really, uh, that may also, by the way, let me correct myself. There is no RFA year. There is no, I mean, he's in a contract year because they cut him, Yeah, it gets rid of that. Oh no, he is under contract next year. Okay, so he's, no, all right. It is still that contract. I don't know how that works. I thought they cut him. Huh. So no, he's an RFA in 2024, or
0: 2023, 2020. 2023, right. He, he's under contract next year and then he's an RFA the year after that.
1: I just, but, so, okay. So they signed him to a three-year deal when they re-signed him. Yeah, so- Really interesting
0: play. I agree with you though. His versatility, I think, is his calling card right now. His ability to play multiple different techniques as well, uh, whether it's man to man or also a couple of different spots in their zone coverages. Uh, He's able to play the flat. He's able to play like a hook seam defender. Uh, He's able to play uh, deep if they want him to play deep, right? So he can play a bunch of different levels of the defense as well, which I think is critical too uh, to the way that they've evolved defensively this year so i think he's a very useful player i think he's going to have a role on the team next year is john jones going to come back in and be the de facto number one slot corner yes but I, I do think that that miles bryan will be a bigger part of that secondary than what the plan was going into this season he was not necessarily in the in the plans to have a huge role assuming jones stayed healthy i think next year will be treated a little bit differently uh looking at this matchup uh, against the colts uh, i'm glad that we can get into to this a little bit uh do you think the colts matchup is practically two similar schemes going up against each other in a battle of who executes it better i'm assuming that luke is speaking to the fact that both teams want to run the football right but i will say right off the off the top here uh, they run the football very differently they, they get to their runs very differently. They scheme up their runs very differently. So although it's stylistically a similar matchup in terms of what they want to put on the quarterback and, and how they want to lean on their run game, from a schematic standpoint, an X's and O standpoint, two very differently designed styles of run games.
1: Yeah, I, I think you nailed it. I think stylistically, uh, the schematically, they're very different. Right. Does that so, like, I think on both, frankly, on both sides of the ball, I think you have two teams where the rosters were constructed, you know, in very similar ways. But then the way they went about using those players, you kind of hit that fork in the road and go in two different directions. So it it, it actually is very interesting. It's a very interesting game in that sense. That's yeah. a good point to, you know, that's a good point to make, because I think I'll give him credit. I think Chris Ballard's done a good job. And yeah. when he made that comment. Remember the rivalries back comment yeah. he made after the Josh McDaniels thing? Like, I was like, oh, boy, here we go. The Colts are full of themselves. They've, you know, they've done a good job building this team, and they put a lot of faith in Carson Wentz. It, it goes to a point we've talked about, Evan, a number of times on this show that I have made that I don't think you need an elite quarterback to win in the NFL everything else right. And they've built up this strong offensive line, which was, you know, the Colts' weakness for years. Three years yeah. was that they didn't have an offensive line. They built up an offensive line. I think they hit a home run with Jonathan Taylor. I, I can't remember who the other backs were in that draft. I remember was, there were like four top backs in that draft, and, and Taylor was the guy, and other teams missed it, and they nailed it. Um, they've made some good moves on defense. I thought trading for Devor- DeForest Buckner, that was a good move. Um, I really like Darius Leonard as a player I do. You know, They've done a really good job of building a roster that wins in a very particular way. Similar to how the Patriots have done it, and then when you get to the coaching level, they've approached it completely differently, and they've yeah. still found success with it. So, there's a lot of interesting layers to this matchup from a roster construction and an X's and O's point of view, um, where it's you know the same but also different.
0: Yeah, it's interesting from a schematic game plan perspective for me. Is what does Bill Belichick decide in this game that he truly wants to take away? Because I, I think on paper. The obvious answer is to take away the run game and take away Jonathan Taylor, but the Bucks did that last week in the first half against against Indianapolis There in week uh, 13 before the buys. They did that against Indianapolis. They took away the run game in the first half playing base defense, but at the end of the first half, Indianapolis started to run empty formations. They started to run five wide. They spread out the base defense and they were picking on matchups in the middle of the field with the linebackers and the safeties. And they really threw the bucks out of their base defense and forced Tampa Bay to put their nickel package on the field. Once they got into nickel, it was Jonathan Taylor down your throats, right? Right. So that's the difficult part about this Colts offense from a, from a game plan matchup standpoint to me for the Patriots is the in-game chess match between Frank Reich and Bill Belichick. Reich, I saw last week, you know, I I think the biggest thing that you look at a team like Buffalo, you look at a team like Kansas city. The reason why those teams I think are good matchups for the Patriots is are because they can only win one way. Right, they, they right. can only win a game if it's a pass heavy game for both teams, it's our pass offense against your pass defense. Well, Indianapolis can win games in multitude of ways offensively. They can beat you in, in several different ways. And although Carson Wentz is not Patrick Mahomes, he is a quarterback that is playing pretty well good football right now in that system within the confines of Frank Reich's scheme. So I look at this and I, I'm fascinated to see how that because I guarantee you if the Patriots put base defense out there to load up against Jonathan Taylor. They are going to check out of the, pe- the run plays. They're going to get into some pass plays, play action, empty stuff, and they are going to throw the football on the Patriots-based defense. They they have that that fortitude, that, that ability to adapt, right, to what the defense is trying yeah. to take away, and they can attack you that way. So this is a really difficult matchup for New England's defense because the Patriots are a defense that wants to dictate the term's based off the personnel and they want to make you play left-handed. So I don't know if the Colts truly have a left hand in, in this game if the Patriots do put base defense out there to stop the run game. So who which way do they go? Do they go with one of those game plans where, yeah, we might give up six yards of carry to Jonathan Taylor, but they're only going to score 13 points because they're not throwing the ball against us. Or do they go with one of those plans where they really want to force the way to the world on Carson Wentz's shoulders? I I, I don't know what the best Point of attack is it's kind of a tricky game plan in my mind for the Pats, and I also can't help but think of uh Super Bowl fifty-two and go back to the last time they they played a. I think they might have played the Colts with Frank Reich in in nineteen or in eighteen. They
1: did in eighteen. That was a Thursday night game,
0: right? So they did play them once in between, but I can't help but go back to Super Bowl fifty-two and just remember how much of a a challenge uh, that scheme the RPO concepts, the run pass balance, all of it was for Bill Belichick and the Patriots defense. So if this Patriots defense can limit and even shut down Indianapolis's offense on Saturday night, I think that really tells me a lot about this past D, you know, beating up uh, on some of these bad teams that they've played uh, Buffalo in the windstorm, all that kind of stuff is great. But looking at this Indianapolis team and truly being able to stop Indy uh, in the dome in Indianapolis on the road. I think that would be a true uh, statement type of game for the Patriots defense. So I'm interested to see how Belichick
1: uh, goes up against him there. Uh, We're trying to get, well, I I would just, I would just add to that too real quick. I think that the Patriots have unique ability to play in nickel in stills Assuming Kyle Duggar's back, assuming Adrian Phillips is healthy, like right, you're in nickel. Have coverage players. Alex cut
0: out again, but I think I I understand where he's going with As we Is we'll we'll try to get him back here in a second. That uh, the Patriots can stop the run out of nickel with Kyle Duggar in their three safety packages. I I agree with that. Looking at the numbers here though, Indianapolis uh, 5.6 yards per rush against nickel this year. So a team that really runs the ball effectively against nickel throws the ball effectively against base,
1: uh, we can see if we can get Alex here. Are you there? Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, I think the Patriots nickel is slightly different than every other team's nickel. One yeah. one more thing here real quick before we jump to the next question. Yeah. I was talking about the Colts nailing it in the draft in 2020 with Jonathan Taylor. Yes. How about this? So Edward Solaire went first, then Swift. Taylor went third, then Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins, A.J. Dillon. And remember, everybody loved Dobbins. So right. they, they nailed it with Taylor in that draft.
0: I thought Taylor was the best back not to like to my own horn or pat my back or anything like that. But I, I remember us talking about yeah. Taylor being the best back in that draft. And I was really surprised that it wasn't a consensus back then. I mean, he was dominant in college. Why do you think
1: I'm bringing this up? I'm trying to, to my own horn. <laughs>
0: All right. Let, let's answer this question here about JC Jackson. I think this might be when I do my mailbags every single week, this might be the number one question that people ask me is what the Patriots are going to do with JC Jackson. And I, I pulled the numbers here today and I, I really find it uh, quite eye popping how much better JC Jackson has gotten this season in this number one cornerback role without Stefan Gilmore anymore than what he was last year. So last year, Uh, And on plays without Stefan Gilmore, JC Jackson was giving up 9.9 yards per target, almost 10 yards per target when Gilmore was not in the lineup. Uh, This year, he's down to 6.8 yards per per target. His touchdown to interception ratio, he's given up one touchdown to seven interceptions in coverage this year. So, the volatility of jc jackson's game that we saw at times last year where there was a lot of boomer bust right it was either a pick six in the one direction or a touchdown in the other direction and there was a lot of ups and downs with jc jackson's game last year he has really leveled that ship and now he's just a consistent uh cover guy man zone can still ball hawk, but can still shut it down. I think his attention to detail and, and to film study has really helped him out. He talked about that earlier this year, that he was really trying to lock in on that that grind with the film study. I think he's really rounded out his game to now, not just being a pick magnet and a touchdown, mat, uh, interception magnet, excuse me, but also being able to shut guys down
1: consistently down to down
0: on top of that.
1: Yeah, I so I I think we don't we don't have enough information yet to answer this question, uh, yeah. And it's going to come down to. And here's the thing: I don't think there'll be enough information by the time they have to make the decision. So to me, I think they franchise. I think they franchise them, um, and then because it's a really good year in the corners for corners, who maybe you need to like give a year or two, right? Uh, Josh Job, Kobe Bryant, Michael Wright. So if you Franchise JC Jackson, draft one of those guys. Then in 2023, and of course, guys can sign extensions. But yeah. 2023 projects to be a really strong free agent cornerback, cornerback uh, free agent year. So you use a top 60, top 90 pick on a corner this year. You you have that guy play behind JC Jackson for a year, and then hopefully that guy pans out, and then Jackson moves on off the tag, and you bring in somebody else. Right, basically what they did. I, I've made this comparison before, but they had Revis in in Malcolm Butler, right? And Revis was the clear Revis was clearly a number one and ace corner. Like he wasn't just a number one; he was an ace. He was a shutdown corner. Yeah. Malcolm Butler was very good. He was a number one, but he wasn't quite that ace. So what did they do? They moved on from Revis. They strung B- Butler along with team control devices like tags until they had a chance to go get another ace in Stephon Gilmore. Um, and in between, it obviously didn't pan. So I think you'll maybe see a similar pattern here, where they'll string Jackson. That's probably one more year. They'll draft somebody and give that a shot this year, and if not, or to get that player's, uh, you know, on the other side, they'll go back and dip into the market in 2023 when they can get another true ace. So that I mean, that's how I see it.
0: Yeah, I I I think that that's the. I think the franchise option for JC Jackson is gonna to be too attractive for Bill Belichick not to do
1: it. it right because ultimately it's gonna be value. You're gonna be paying him significantly great, less than what you'd pay him on the open it's market. It's great
0: value. It gives it buys them like you're saying, not only in the draft to potentially draft a replacement and 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 go that direction, but it also buys them another year of being able to watch what JC Jackson does without a Stephon Gilmore on the opposite side. It just it feels like a win-win for the team. They keep the player. They keep him in position. One of their best defensive players. They keep him there. I don't think J.C. Jackson's going to be too disappointed about making uh, eighteen million dollars, right? I, I think that that will that'll, that'll be all well and good. And then you revisit it again, seeing if maybe you know they they want to um, draft somebody and replace him that way, or. Uh, pay him at that point i think either way it, it will work out uh but i really yeah i i that franchise tag is just something that i think is is a little bit too uh attractive from a, a value standpoint for the team to instead just turn over and say oh we're just going to give him right. the the 80 million now right it, it seems like it'd make a lot more sense to to franchise them, at least from a Patriots perspective. All right. Uh, and, wait, plan- real quick, real quick,
1: just yeah. looking ahead. And obviously a lot can change that 2023 draft. So not this upcoming spring, but the spring after it's a lot, yeah. there's it, a lot of quarterback, like top end cornerback talent in that draft potentially that could be an elite cornerback draft. So, you know, you keep those. In mind they're not making decisions solely based off it, but I'm sure that's something they're watching. So, you know, keep an eye on it too.
0: Yeah. I'm going to Audible and talk about cannabis, specifically Massachusetts' premier cannabis dispensaries, INSA, I-N-S-A. They're the premier because the founders, Pat and Pete, re-engineered the cannabis model from what they sell to how they sell it, while never forgetting it's for everyone. INSA dispensaries are inviting and modern, so come in just to learn more. The staff are authorities on the science who answer every question, from the differences between flowers and concentrates to offering. For insomnia and anxiety, or Reco for hanging with friends. INSA has a world class head chef too and only hires the most respected growers who perfected their craft when it wasn't so legit. One last thing the INSA founders aren't VCs from Silicon Valley, but lifelong pals from Springfield. So there's another local team to root for INSA in Salem, East Hampton. Boston delivery in two Springfield locations, including just one off I-91 beside the MGM Casino. Mention we said to stop by for a sweet t-shirt or for one penny, Insa.com or 877-500-INSA. All right, let's go in the trenches. I want to go in the trenches here for a second. And let's talk about uh, Devon Godshot, who had probably his, not, not even probably, he did have his best game of the year. As a Patriot against Buffalo. Now, a lot of the reasons why the Bills were trying to double team at different points of the attack on the defensive ends, mainly Lawrence Guy, Dietrich Wise, Christian Barmore, they saw a lot of double teams. To Godshaw's credit, uh, he wasn't getting doubled in that game. And usually on the nose, you get doubled a lot and against Buffalo. He wasn't. Uh, they tried to trust Mitch Morse to just block him one on one, and he beat a lot of those blocks by Morse and, and was able to show out. They have another game on Sunday against Indianapolis, the number one run team in the NFL. So they need Godshaw to uh, show out again. Do you feel like this is Godshaw's arrow pointing upwards and we're going to continue to see him climb and progress forward? Or uh, was this more just a a, a one really good game by by Godshaw here?
1: Well, like you mentioned, I think this was a game... I don't know that it's just like he played really well, but I don't know that it's a game that he played miles above where he's played the rest of the year. I think it's just a game that really highlighted what he does well and allowed him to shine. I, and, and he even talked about this at the beginning of the season, the, you know, the true nose tackle three, four, true nose tackle. That guy's job isn't to accumulate stats. That guy's job isn't necessarily even to be in front of the ball carrier. His yeah. job is to clog things up up front, occupy blockers on the offensive line, occupy space and redirect plays. And I, I think he's done a decent job of that this year. He hasn't played a ton or at least as much as I expected. But I think some of that is just the nature of they've been ahead in these games and teams are throwing on them. So I, you know, I think Godshaw's been solid this year. He, you know, he's not an all pro or anything, but I think he's been solid this year. And I think that game was more, you know, I see some people talking about him turning a corner. I, I think it more just highlighted his skill set than anything else.
0: Yeah. I've had some concerns about him playing true nose. Uh, I don't know if he's a true nose tackle in this system, mainly just because he doesn't have the immense size that it takes to play at that spot. So I, I look at Godshaw, and I, I've said this multiple times. I, I feel like God has a three, four defensive end in, in the Patriots based defense. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It's just sort of how I feel about it. And I, just because of size um, ability to take on double teams, ability to not get reached and turned out, I, he looks to me like he's more comfortable at end than he is at the nose. Uh, He's much better on the nose in this game against Buffalo. Maybe that is some signs of things to come, but based off of what I've seen and it's sometimes limited, uh, Carl Davis has looked better at, true nose tackle at times and Godshaw has this year. So I do wonder if they go into next year and look at a gotcha as more of a base end and, and maybe they go out and try to find uh, another big body to play that true nose tackle spot. And, and when we were talking to him uh, a few weeks ago, he mentioned that he loves playing end in this system, right? He prefers to play end in this system because it allows him to go ahead and make some more plays. So I don't know. It would be interesting to see where they see his, his fit moving forward in, in terms of long-term, if they do feel like he's maybe not a true nose tackle in the type of defense that they want to be playing. All right, let's look at, there was one other questions here um, about COVID and I, I, I hate to, to talk about, about the, about COVID and all this stuff, but I, I do think it's new. It's uh, newsworthy. Uh, Adam Schefter just tweeted out that the NFL had 37 positive tests today uh according to league sources. So 37 players going on the COVID list. Look, I'm not trying to get into all the, the vaccine talk. Hopefully we get Alex
1: back here. You there? Yeah. So is it 37 players or 37 positive tests? Said 37 total positive COVID. So tests. that could, that can also be coaches. And I, I don't think that's just, we didn't see 37 players go on COVID reserve today. Like we would have noticed that. I think that's, that's coaches. and Yeah. Okay. So maybe it's league
0: wide, but and this is definitely it's a lot. It's a lot. And this has popped up a lot more recently and in, in some of these breakthrough cases and, and things like that. You don't want to see the, the season turn, right? You don't want to see this head towards something similar to last year. So it's going to be uh, interesting to see what ends up happening with all these positive tests.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's unfortunate, right? It You don't want to see a team season derailed because of COVID. I mean, it's just, regardless of who it is, regardless of who you who you root for, like, you don't want to see a promising team have to bow out because of something out of their control. So we'll see what happens. But I think, you know, the league implemented some tougher policies a couple weeks ago. It was like right yeah. before Thanksgiving and maybe we'll see teams start to do the same, especially if you're a team in contention right now, like you can't. And it's, it's a big thing for locker room accountability too. You know, you can't be taking, if you're really serious about this, you can't be taking these risks right now. And that's not to say players have to lock themselves inside and, you know, be afraid of the sun or any of that. But I think it's just something that, you know, to be cognizant of as you get to this point of the year.
0: Yeah, it is a bummer. Uh, so did Kenny Moore say something? Somebody said in the chat here that, uh, Former Patriots corner for a little bit for a hot. Yeah, he said he, did,
1: it, he gave the usual. This was like two years ago. It was no fun. Yeah, not that it was no fun. It was too like mentally strenuous. Yeah, he compared it to being in the military. He was like, you got to get you get up at five every morning and you do this and then you do that and it's like I I don't think anybody's ever said everybody can play for the Patriots. I think it takes a very certain kind of person to be able to succeed in New England. Like I I truly believe that it's nothing against Kenny Moore. To me, the bigger, if you want Bolton board material from the Colts, is what Bobby Okereke said today. I don't know if you saw that one. Yeah. What did he say? Let me see if I can pull up the direct quote. He called out Matt Jones. Oh boy. Well, I will say this about this Colts defense. And
0: I actually think from based off of what we have seen carry through uh, even post Tom Brady, Josh McDaniels is a very, very good play caller against zone defenses. The Titans came in here a few weeks ago. Remember, Alex, they played a ton of zone defense yeah. against the Patriots. Mac threw for 310 yards against them. This Indianapolis team has more dropbacks in zone coverage than any defense in the entire NFL. They are zone heavy to a T. tee. They, they do not play a ton of man. They're good at disguising. They have very athletic coverage linebackers. They hunt the football in zone. They can turn you over. But they are a zone team through and through. I actually think as badly as I think the Patriots match up against the Colts offense in a lot of ways, I actually think the Patriots offense looks... Very, very good on paper against this Colts defense. The Colts defense is a fast, athletic, explosive unit, turnover machine. They play a ton of zone, like I just mentioned, but I think feeds into the Patriots' strengths and max strengths of the passer. I also think they can run on this Colts defense. The, the, the Colts, they have some good players up front, DeForest Buckner, Darius Leonard, but those guys are athletic guys. I don't think that those guys are really the ones that want to play a physical heavy game in the trenches. It reminds me of a lot of ways, the way that they are built, it reminds me a ton of the way that the Buffalo Bills defense is built, right? Tremaine Edmonds, Darius Leonard. Ed Oliver, DeForest Buckner, right? Very similar types right. of players there. I think that the Patriots' offense is going to be able to move the ball against this Colts defense. And I don't know. It's not going to be because of bulletin board material, uh, but I, I just think that schematically they match up pretty
1: well. So here's the quote from Bobby Okariki, uh, Colts linebacker. They figured out that's a big strength for them. They can run the ball and man on man match up well physically against teams. That's a pride point for us. And we're just ready to attack the run and make them one dimensional and see what Mac Jones can do. Good luck. If you're going to play zone and good luck, because
0: we we've talked about the zone thing a lot. And it, and I think that it, it, a lot of it was Brady, but McDaniels is so good at flooding zones and, and really stressing zone coverage that a lot of the time he's thrown to some pretty open guys when teams play a lot of zone coverage against the Patriots. So if, if, that's the game plan. I think the game's going to look a lot like it did against the Tennessee Titans, where yeah. they're not able to really run the ball a whole lot, but Mac is torturing them through the air because of the zone stuff. I, I don't think the Indianapolis is going to man up. I don't. And, and that's, to me, still, forcing the Patriots to beat man coverage, I still think is the, is the way to beat this offense right you can catch mac once or twice with a disguised zone look right if it's a zone pressure or if it's a zone exotic rotation or something like that then yeah maybe you can get one on them once or twice in a game like atlanta was able to do for example but in order to consistently beat them t- down in down out drive in drive out i still think that you got a man up against new england and 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 go mano-a-mano and i don't think this Colts team will so i like the matchup for the patriots offense i think they're going to be able to move the ball against indianapolis um i don't okay i never mind i I misinterpreted that question so we'll we'll skip that one for now Uh, let's see if there's any other uh, questions you guys got here we got a few more minutes uh keep them coming keep dropping them uh there's a lot of uh, other things being talked about, Alex in the chat. So getting through all of this to figure out where the questions actually are um, is is not the easiest. But
1: um, yeah, did you block that one account yet?
0: Like, yeah, you got
1: blo- I- naked videos on your YouTube. Congratulations.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's always difficult to block accounts like that because you don't want to accidentally pull the tweet up on the the screen, right? So there's like a very little block uh tab that you can hit you know and you got to hit it right on the money otherwise it right pulls up
1: the the tweet on the screen so look yeah. i'm just saying we're here for football like i don't know who that person they're they think they're advertising to this show we just care about football that's it uh, the rest of that's a distraction we'll deal with that and you know after the super bowl
0: okay all right let's talk, answer this question about hightower please I, I think I think this question about these questions about Hightower are really interesting because I almost think like the year off for Hightower kind of made people forget about exactly what made him a good player in the first place. Right. And every single time people see Hightower in coverage or see him in space uh, chasing after somebody, you get the tweets, you get the moans, you get the groans of, Oh my God, he's so slow. He's so bad in in coverage and this, that, Dante Hightower is a a borderline hall of fame player. It's not because of anything he's ever done in coverage. Right. I mean, he's, he's a physical downhill thumping style linebacker he's actually very good at play action recognition uh, but other than that if you get him into zone drop or if you get him into man coverage he's always been vulnerable I- in pass coverage so to me this is more of a of people losing sight of what exactly has made Hightower great here in New England and forgetting that every player has got things that they're not as good at now nobody's the perfect player unless maybe you're talking at that position, like Bobby Wagner, who can pretty much do everything. But uh, there's very few guys that are perfect players, all around perfect players. And Hightower does have some athletic deficiency in space, but he's always made up for it in different ways.
1: I think the other part of this is just he didn't play football for a year. And it's a process of getting back into it. Like we saw with Rob Gronkowski last year coming off his retirement. I know that's a comparison a lot of people have made. You know, I'm sure this isn't to say Dante Hightower didn't put the work in. I'm sure he did. Uh, last year when he was out, he put in the work in camp, all of that, but you know, there's only so much you can do. You can't simulate live action NFL football. You just have to experience that. And I, you know, Brandon Bolden said there was a little bit of an adjustment for him about a month and uh, whether or not he'd admit it, I'm sure it was the same thing for Dante Hightower. Other players have said it. So I think he's just, you know, back in the, back in the groove of things, back in the swing of things physically. And we know what kind of player he is mentally and what he brings as a leader. So, yeah, I think he's just comfortable. He looks more comfortable now than he did earlier in the season, and comfort on the football field can go a long way.
0: Yeah, I agree. All right, two last questions here. i uh, will start with this one, and then I'm going to f- some low-hanging fruit here for you, Alex, in a second, but we'll, okay. yeah, uh, yeah, let, yeah, yeah. Let, let's start with this question here. Um, do we think that the Patriots have, are going to install something or – have something up their sleeves coming out of this bye week for the stretch run that they might use that they haven't shown already. I'm not going to say RPOs
1: because they're just not going to do it. So I'm just not – I'm not going to mention it as much <laughs> as I wish that they would. You need it. You need to ask Bill about it because remember when you asked him about Johnnie Smith not getting the ball, and then they gave the ball to New Smith on six straight plays?
0: Uh, I, yeah. I mean, I asked McDaniels <laughs> about it, and he gave me some – some uh, boring answer about how they don't major in it, but, but it's in their bag. And I'm like, it's not in your bag enough when, you know, Mac Jones shredded the FBS on RPOs his last year at Alabama. Maybe let's know we're not going to do it. He's not, they're not going to do it. So we're not going to do it. But is there something else in their bag that you might think just in general, do you think something is coming? Or you might think of have an idea of what might be coming.
1: Yeah, I mean, they generally run a trick play coming out of the bye. So I think we'll see something goofy this week. I think they have a lot of setup plays. A lot of the motion they've been doing in some of these end arounds to Kendrick Bourne, right, that they were running the last couple of weeks. They ran one to Nelson Aguilar last week against the Bills. I It does look like they are setting something up. Uh, you know, I don't know that that would necessarily be installed during the bye week, right? To set it up, you already have to know what it is. But mm-hmm. they go deep in the bag. Maybe not deep enough yeah. for the RPOs, but everything else. be surprised. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, I I, I do wonder if there's a, a Johnny Smith iteration of the playbook that is not quite- That's
1: the big one. Dusted yeah, off
0: yet. especially in the red zone. I, I'm not as concerned about Johnny Smith catching the ball between, they're moving the ball between the 20s. Like that's not the concern here, right? I mean, they're getting the ball right. into scoring territory. They're number one in the league in scoring efficiency on, per drive basis. So they're they moving the ball plenty between the 20s. The problem is they got to get more touchdowns in the red zone. I wrote about that last week. I know a lot of people have talked about this breaking 26th in the red zone in terms of touchdown efficiency and kicking as many field goals as the Patriots are kicking that's eventually it feels like it might get them beat in the playoffs right it just it feels like an offense that makes you score in the 30s that makes you put up points eventually kicking all those field goals is going to come back to bite you so hopefully there's a Smith. Nikhil Harry, Nelson, I don't know, someone else in that group, right? Because I think right now in the red area, uh, every team knows that they're trying to get the ball to Hunter Henry, and and right, he's yeah. been kind of game-planned for in that area of the field. So you have to have one other answer uh, up your sleeve. They know about the power run game. They know about Hunter Henry. Everybody's game-planned against those two things in the red zone. So somebody else needs to emerge. Kendrick Bourne, Bourne might be that guy. Uh, He had the big touchdown in the red zone against uh, Tennessee, right? The poster eyes of of, uh, Kevin Byard. Maybe he's a guy that can evolve into that sort of role in the red area. But I'm interested to see if they can get Johnny more involved. All right. Here's the low-hanging fruit for you, Alex. Here's the question that you have been waiting to answer. Is it the stadium one? Because, like, let's talk about the draft a
1: little bit. It's the bye
0: week. No, no. It's about the draft. And here is the question that you have been waiting to answer all season long. Who is the next Alabama player that Bill Belichick is going to draft. Alex, you have the stage.
1: Well, so I'm on record. I really like Henry Toto, the middle linebacker, and I think they will like him a lot too. Now, will they have a chance to draft him? He's a guy who's probably going to move up during the combine process. I think he ends up being a middle second round pick. So uh, unless they reach on him in the first round, I don't know. Um, Guys I like. I would really like to see them take a shot at Shalil Billingsley. Uh, to me, he's like a 6'3", 220-pound Tyree Kill. It's not quite as fast, but it's that same idea where he he can kind of you move them all over the formation. I don't think they'll take him. Um, the guy I look at, and I, I like, I realistically think, okay, where will they be picking? What do they need? What kind of players they, do they like? If it's not To'o To'o, I think Josh Job, the corner. Uh, is a guy that they might really be interested in again. They need a corner. He's a true outside cornerback., uh, there's a couple guys in our secondary I like. I, I hadn't honestly focused a ton on Jordan battle. I thought he played really well in the SEC championship game against Georgia to the safety. so um really any honestly, anybody in that secondary or Henry Toto. i'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with those guys. I'm making sure I'm not missing anybody here. Um, oh um, what's well, eighteen. The guy I text you about every week. 18 yeah uh Oh. Right, he plays quarterback he plays receiver he plays safety he covers kicks he returns kicks he's a two-year captain he's a five-year player why can't i think of his name hang on you're killing I me try- i can,
0: can i i want to talk about a few guys first before when you're finding that name I have it. Hang on. I have it right here. Slade
1: Bolden. Slade. Slade Oh my God. No, no. I don't know how I forgot about Slade
0: Bolden. Slade Bolden is Alex has been telling me about Slade Bolden. It seems like Slade Bolden has been at Alabama for two, for, for, for eight years. He's been there for five
1: years. Yeah.
0: uh, Maybe six actually. He's been there for a hundred years. This guy is the, is the the pesky little slot receiver that the Patriots.
1: uh, Okay. But, but he also plays safety. Yes. And quarterback.
0: Yeah. So, I know in the chat, I know on Twitter, I know everybody under the sun wants the Patriots to draft John Mechie, right? Everybody does. Now, my question is because I don't hate it, if John Mechie's ACL kicks him out of the first, you know, down into the second round, right? Because if the Patriots get good info from Nick Saban that Mechie's knee is going to be fine. And that he, he's just, you know, going to go through the normal ACL recovery and he's going to be back on the field, maybe not even next year, but maybe it ends up being in 2023. I don't hate at all with their situation, with how many uh, veterans they already have on the on the roster. I don't mind at all them redshirting John Mechie and, and then getting a first round talent in 2023 that they got yeah. in the second or third round in 2022. Kind of like a Cameron McGurn
1: situation. So I I was going to say I think the the interesting thing about it is would the patriots do something like this let's look at the historical context yeah yes they very much would and I think what right. helps them is this is a really 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 good receiver class another one shocker right Garrett Wilson, I mean, Garrett Wilson, if the Patriots could have any player in the yeah. draft, they're not going to have a chance to draft him, but if they could have any player in the draft, it might be Garrett Wilson, Alave, Traylon Burks, Drake London, Jameson Williams, Jahan Dotson, George Pickens, mm-hmm. Wandale Robinson. I, and I mean, I'm reading off the list, but I don't want to miss anybody. The point is there is a, re, like somebody. teams aren't just going to pass on John mech He's incredibly talented, but I think that there's enough talent in this class that, The third round is the sweet spot. I don't think Bill uses a top 60 pick, especially when corner and tackle are both immediate needs. I don't think Bill uses a top 60 pick on a player who's not going to play. But if John Mitch, there in the third round, you know, especially if they can move up and maybe grab a comp pick from somebody in the third round, like, you're in the sweet spot there. So if you want John Mechie to the Patriots, I don't think it's unrealistic, but, you know, the Zay Flowers of the world, the Justin Rosses, you got to be rooting for those guys to kill it at the Combine, kill it at the Pro Day, because the reality is you're looking for those guys to drop off, And because Mechie can't raise his stock right now. he can only lower right. it. You need those guys to lower Mechie's stock. And in the third round, I think we can talk about it.
0: Yeah. So he's not quite as big as Nikhil. I thought he, I thought Mechie, he plays bigger than he, than he actually is listed as. So he's listed at six foot 195. I think he might be like six one, but he feels like the type of receiver that maybe they thought that they were going to get with Nikhil Harry that Nikhil Harry just never, I don't know.
1: You think so? Mechie's a much better, he's a much better route runner. Right. He's not as much a contested catch guy.
0: I, I, I just feel like he's, the bigger receiver that can move around the formation that can block a little bit. I, I don't know if he's necessarily a contested catch guy, but I, I have been impressed by, by the opportunities that I've seen him have in those types of situations, but he can run routes. Right. So, yeah, so yeah. I, I feel like I thought he was bigger than he actually is. So maybe, maybe, you know, that that's a part of it here. Yeah, He's we'll not, he's
1: not nearly big enough for that, for that comparison. Yeah. So maybe I'm a little bit off
0: on the size comparison, but I don't know. it, he, what he makes up for it in route running feels like a nice l- transition, right? You know what I right. mean. Like
1: if you want, look if if you want the better the ver- the guy who's like a better Nikhil Harry in this draft, it's Traylon Burks for Mark. Yeah. who I like. Um, I don't think they'll get a chance to get Traylon Burks. Like if you want to talk about Patriots first round receivers, I think you're looking at Traylon Burks, and I think you're looking at Drake London, maybe Jahan Dotson. Like he's a late first, early second guy. If they really make a run in the playoffs, or if Dotson really kills it. Um, you know, Dotson, I, I really Dotson. I like Dotson. I think would be a good fit for them because a good route runner. He's a good hands catcher. He's a downfield threat. I think he's a guy who could maybe play the role they have. I'm not saying he's a better player than Nelson Aguilar, but I wonder if in, in a year or two, he could play the role. Nelson Aguilar is playing a little better than Aguilar is playing it right now. So, yeah. you know, if, if they're going to go in the first round, that's the guy I'm looking at is Jahan Dotson. And I, I love Drake London. You can't not love Drake London. But I think Drake London will be off the board before they pick.
0: Yeah, so the other Alabama receiver, Williams, that Jamie guy. Oh,
1: he's good. He's going top 10. And he covers punts. He yeah. covered, he was their primary. So he not only was here, he their leading receiver this year, Jamison Williams. Not only was he Alabama's leading receiver, and keep in mind, this is one of the best passing offense in college football. He's out there covering punts on every single kick.
0: Yeah, no, you, you tell him like Bill Belichick
1: that. doesn't want that guy. Too bad. He's going. Yeah, tough, he's man. going out. You're right. He. You, you he, don't. I think you don't, don't run like the that in last and last long.
0: Right. Like like you yeah. just don't. You look at Jalen Waddle. Uh, you, you look at John Ross, even. Right. I mean, you right. you run like that, and he's got size too. William James. he's Williams. a big dude. Yeah, he's not just. He's he's big. So I I I don't know he he's going top ten. All right, that that's been your college football hour with Alex Barth. Uh, we'll we'll be back on the show on Thursday to preview Patriots. We're Col- not
1: even gonna do the stadium upgrades. There's
0: oh, like you want go ahead? Give it.
1: me give me your one minute take on the stadium upgrade. Um, you know it pushes off them having to build a new stadium for a little bit. Uh, I I don't think the wind advantage is gone. I think it's lessened, but if you look, there's still yeah. like. There's opportunity for some weird wind tunnels there to that end. It'll be interesting, but it looked, it's going to look cool. And, you know, I, I like that. They're, they're accentuating the lighthouse, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's cool. I've mixed, I've mixed opinions on it. We can't call it the open end of the stadium anymore. I guess we call it the new end of the stadium. We, we, yeah, need new that's, terminology.
0: that's a tough part is it's so easy to, to, the geography was so easy to understand open end, closed end. Well, you I know, think like, new end,
1: new, end, new alerts, end, right. The new end of the stadium. Sure. It's going to, it's going to be kind of cool. There's a, there's an observation deck up there though. That'll be neat. That That's I thought that was your bedroom. Well, it was now they're kicking me out. That's <laughs> yeah. That's Matt, Matt Doll's running joke is that I live in the lighthouse and I zip line out of the practice field. I, I think you
0: might, I think he's onto something, but yeah, he, I mean, uh, I don't hate it. I think it's nice. Look, I think the stadium needed something that ha- had a little bit more—I uh, don't know—pizzazz, uh, right? Like a, a little, yeah. a little bit more uh, aesthetically pleasing. Uh, right now, the Gillette, the lighthouse is cool. I like the. I always liked the lighthouse. i And yeah. keeping the lighthouse, but it, it does feel outside of the lighthouse like a pretty generic. Built in the early 2000s NFL football stadium, right? It's just right. not, there's not much character to it outside of the lighthouse. So I do like the fact that they are adding a little bit more spice and they're not building a new stadium, knocking this one down and building a monstrosity like we're seeing, you know, in some other places quite yet. I don't want one of those. Look, I was down, at, you know, we went to Atlanta for the Super Bowl in 2018, I, I was down there um, for Pats Falcons. I couldn't find anywhere. I didn't know where to go. Like the place is just, it's, huh. it is, it is, it is so giant. It's its own city, you know, it's just yeah. so big. And I, I just don't think that that is like, I, I just don't have any interest in a stadium like that. I just don't. I, and I'm not even talking about the dome aspect of it. No I'm dome. About
1: the, about this is not Buffalo. Fire. They should not build the dome here.
0: Yeah. It just anyway. way too many way too big way too it just everything i hated everything about it all right thursday show Patriots Colts preview. I'm really excited to break this one down. Uh, so we'll be back on Thursday afternoon around four o'clock around the same time as usual. And we'll definitely tease it out on Twitter and all the social medias and stuff like that. So you guys know when and where uh, to find us on Thursday, Pat's Colts preview Then we'll get it. Uh, same schedule as usual next week on the Tuesday, Friday uh look ahead on Friday, Tuesday recap show, and uh we'll get into some more things uh next week as well. But thanks so much for doing the Q and a, uh, we're going to do it again uh sometime soon. We enjoy doing them. So we'll try to do a few more of them before the regular season is over. And uh final month here, Alex home stretch, at least for the regular hopefully season. Not.
1: Ho- hopefully we have more than a month left.
0: Yeah, it's going to be fun. So, you know, look uh the Patriots. I, I don't want to count the chickens or whatever, uh but it, <laughs> there's a very, very good chance that we're going to have more than a month left. So you're going to keep it right here. Patriots, press pass, Patriots beat podcast, And we are going to cover the Patriots all the way through the end of their season. Hopefully it ends uh, in Los Angeles, uh, sunny Los Angeles this year uh, for the Super Bowl. But we'll be right here with you uh, the whole rest of the way on Pat Speed. So thanks so much for watching, guys. And once again, uh, we'll see you Thursday night for the preview show of Colts Patriots on Saturday night. Thanks again, and we'll see you then.